Once I learned about the power of community, it really became this undeniable experiment that I had to start dabbling in to see if we could increase practice efficiency and increase transformational results in the patients that I served. And to your point, I really do think community medicine and group health have a compelling solution for helping patients and community members at large start to take radical responsibility. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion. Getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things. When it comes to health, a lot of consumers struggle to make that initial decision, that decision to finally do something about their health which got me thinking, how can we create a more favorable environment for consumers to come to that decision faster? And what supportive environment would be needed for them to thrive in their health journey? I believe today's guest, Dr. Michelle Paris, has compelling answers for both. And so I'm super excited to talk about the role of community and group structures to provide a safe and supportive container for that journey. A naturopathic doctor, community builder, and women's empowerment advocate, Michelle is the clinic director of the Poppy Clinic and the creator of the Wild Collective, a community health initiative focused on health education and women's empowerment. On a personal note, I've witnessed Michelle's leadership in the health space seeking to disrupt the medical model with group health, and many of our own clients at Big Boost have become Wild Collective facilitators. So Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was so lovely. Of course, you know, I've been a big fan of yours for years. We've been in each other's orbits for so long. And I always say I have more friends and professional colleagues in Toronto than any <laughs> other space in North America, which is kind of weird being in the New York area. But you offer such a unique perspective on community and how group structures can facilitate decision making in a safe space. So I'd love to start our conversation right there. How did you arrive at that concept? Well, similar to the title of this podcast, I, I think we wanted to unpack a very similar question or frustration in terms, mine was just in the healthcare space. Like, how do we get patients to say yes and, and have buy-in? As a naturopathic doctor, I'd been practicing in a one-on-one -on -one practice model for seven years prior to starting the Wild Collective, now going into my 14th year. And I really was dissatisfied with the level of consistent health transformation in my patients. And I truly believed it was nothing that they were doing wrong. I didn't think it was the plan that wasn't working. There were actual gaps in the healthcare delivery that were missing. And once I also learned about the power of community, it really became this undeniable experiment that I had to start dabbling in to see if we could increase practice efficiency and increase transformational results in the patients that I served. And to your point, I really do think community medicine and group health have a compelling solution for helping patients and community members at large start to take radical responsibility, say yes, make that important decision of wanting to not only desire transform high-level healthcare and achieving thriving health, but then also being able to have that longevity piece that's absolutely required for long-lasting, long-standing change. And I was saying earlier today, 
you know, I felt as a clinician, I would sit in that first visit, you know, there's like this high level of motivation. It's taken a lot for someone to want to commit to that 90 minute appointment and really kind of deep dive through everything. They leave with this high sense of hope and excitement and clarity in the plan. And then only to come back six weeks later and do what most people do. Like I tried, but there was some resistance from my family or I have all of these tasks and it just seemed like too much. And we abandoned before we ever even gave it a real chance. And you and I both know when it comes to integrative medicine, it's not a quick fix approach. It is about really having high buy-in and knowing that this is a lifetime shift in our thinking, in our lifestyle habits, and all of those pieces. And so we we really do need support long-term to be able to be successful. And what I learned is that when I started to put the women that I served together a, a lot of powerful things happen. One of the first things was that they understood. We gave them body literacy. We were able to educate them as to why they needed to prioritize what we had put on that beautiful individualized plan for them. And they were like, oh, I get it. This makes sense. We empowered them to want to be the co-creator. The other thing I think, well, several things I think we did was we provided a safe place for them to be supported. So even if they were not successful or they were struggling, they had this like-minded group to cheerlead and hold hands with along the way. And that goes a long way when it comes to staying with your plan. We know mirror neurons work in our brain where we actually start to mimic each other's behaviors. So go put yourself in the community where you admire what people have accomplished and done. And that's what we're able to do. I also, one last thing I think we do in this space that I think is so important is that as naturopathic doctors, we were educated on all these obstacles to cure. And we don't really have the time and space and breath to unpack what that even is. Are you satisfied with the work that you do? Do you have mission and purpose? Are you deeply fulfilled by the relationships that you have? We never get to question those things. And therefore, we kind of navigate life feeling a little numb and disconnected. And I think community puts that pulse and that passion back into people's life and and help them stay dedicated to the plan and definitely gets them to that yes, high buy-in situation. I love for you to share, and I love everything that you've said so far. I love for you to share the wild collective framework, what you have learned from the humble beginnings where you started to where it is now and actually explain to our listeners, how did you start, however imperfect it was, number of years back? And then how has it evolved where it is now? I know when you first launched it, there was like a single tier and now you have, I think, at least three tiers. So let's just dive into this so that folks can understand what's the basic level, you know, that you started with and that maybe something that they should consider in if they're practitioners and delivering care, you know, why this is so important. I think you not being too unfamiliar with clinicians, we tend to want to strive for perfection or not launch. And so I think taking imperfect action is the only way we're going to be able to bring new ideas and innovative opportunities forward. You are absolutely correct. I had a framework. So I had a 10-module fundamental program for women's health. No PowerPoints created when I pitched it, just an idea in my heart. And I did feel like a health advocate. I, I did feel like I could educate women from a health perspective. We tied in concepts of the divine feminine and intuition. We really wanted to just make this program a little bit more, have more depth to make it more implementable in life. So I pitched an idea, a very basic 
come to my info session. Here's my idea. Here's what it's going to cost. It's once a month. It's two hours per module. 50% of the time is spent in connection. 50% of the time is spent in health education or curriculum. And we will have very high level conversations that allow you to take your health back in your own hands and, and feel deeply supported in the process. And so I really did just spend each month planning those PowerPoints after I, I sold out my first one. It took me about two weeks to do. And then I got to work. I created PowerPoints and handouts. And by the end of it, I was too tired. I didn't even do that. And I realized that the community medicine and the connection was really why they were there. Yeah. So I checked my ego at the door and just kept creating. So every launch, we got more refined. Our slides got better. And we ended up creating this methodology in group health and a fundamental educational program that was very usable for anyone who was teaching foundational medicine, which everyone is in the healthcare space because that's what you learn. Every That's the level everyone's at, right? It's so funny. We were trained as these strategic thinkers and we ended up talking about hydration and, and bowel movements all day. It just, it just is where people are at. So I thought, why don't we alleviate? And so we actually started to license this program and this is now a global mission. And so speaking to someone like you, we had really no marketing strategy, no funnels, no nothing. And now we're so sophisticated in our tech, our reach, our virtual capacities. We have hybrid models built out. It's a very finessed program. And because I think it had the success that it had, because fundamentally we were a connection-based first company. We were all about making sure that humans did what humans need, and that was to socially connect. And so at the end of that 10-module program, our women were like, we're not leaving, so what's next? What are you creating? And so that's what evolved. We have now three tiers, as you said. They're all 10-module programs. And then we move them all into a membership program because- the women who've been with us now for almost seven years, most of them are still with us. So it's this beautiful opportunity. I'm curious, did it scare you initially to say it's a 10-month curriculum and telling these women, hey, you're committing to 10 months. This is how long it takes. Obviously, in hindsight, people maybe came for the curriculum, but they stay for the community. And ultimately, it's infinite that you know now they're saying, well, I'm a lifer, essentially, and you know I want to stay in that community. But when you first pitched this or put it out there, what were the thought processes? Like how long do you need to educate people on it? Should it be six months, three months? I agree what I did was unbelievably audacious and unrealistic. And I remember getting coaching around that. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't listen. I do think in most cases, there's a six-week, six-module program. It would be a timeline that most humans are comfortable saying yes to. So mine is a bit of a stretch. I recognize that. I think when you can articulate the value and the benefit, you get a higher buy-in. But certainly I know that I didn't make that easy for myself. And we were laughing. We were doing our third module closing circle yesterday. And I was like, can you imagine if I told you in the beginning that you start this journey and three years later, you'd be here? Like it's not, I mean, we can't reveal all our secrets up front because I think that would be too intimidating, especially if you think about all the limiting beliefs and narratives that drive our decision-making behaviors, there's just no way you would say yes to that. So we kind of have to drip it out in, in bite-sized pieces that make that truth more consumable. Because I think you and I both know for long-lasting change, what I'm delivering on, I can actually promise that. However, people are not necessarily going to have high buy-in if I explain that all up front. So really, we are um, breaking this down. And I tried to talk at it like if you were going back to school, September to June, 
Same, same. <laughs> just like that. Yeah. Just women's health. Of course. This is a good pivot to going back to motivation and decision-making because I've heard you talk about how group health allows for impactful decision-making and motivation in ways that don't happen in, in one-on-one care. And, and so I want to sort of go a little bit deeper and unpack this. You know, What do you see happens in group settings, how women make decisions about their health and how they continue to make decisions that doesn't replicate in a one-in-one setting? Yeah, I think there are a number of things that I could say about this. So here's where I'll start. I think when we are going through something as big as a health journey, a health transformation on our own, we are stuck by circumstance with our limiting beliefs, our core stories, the things that drive our typical behavior. And so unfortunately, those are really hard. They tend to be blind spots for us. We don't know that maybe the reason why we're not able to stick to our plan is because we're self-sabotaging because what if we become everything we thought we would be and we are rejected? And so sometimes we choose belongingness and safety in our current circumstance over overriding meaningful change, even though it's what we're saying that we want. And so when we open up the conversation of such concepts with like-minded individuals, there's this opportunity that happens that I think is very powerful and potent and is almost impossible in a one-on-one space, if not fully impossible, is the storytelling, the normalcy or normalization of the human experience. So when you hear stories being shared that are not exact, but similar to your own, and you hear them overcome, or you hear how they moved through that and it doesn't hold them hostage, like they moved beyond it. That's a really empowering thing. And for that moment, there's this click that just happens that accelerates you. Like if she can have that, maybe I can too. And that has a huge impact on our behavior and our decision-making going forward, because now we're no longer stuck in our limiting thinking and our fears and our scarcity. We're now hanging out in the space of possibility. If she can, so can I. And this is a huge driver, huge driver in successful health transformation. You mentioned that a lot of how it initially started was built around connection. And so I'm sure listeners are now thinking, okay, how can I replicate this in my practice. On the one hand, people try to be more efficient and have virtual practices with a low overhead. And then on the other hand, it's about actually meeting in community. And so I think there's this yin and yang where it's like, well, if you're in a big metropolitan area, obviously you'll find enough women, but what if you were in a rural area, how would that translate? I'm sure from all the facilitators that have gone through the Wild Collective, you probably have data on how did it play out across communities globally. Yeah. Well, this is, I think, what's so exciting about the fusion of tech and and healthcare is that it's allowing us to have access and reach more people that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And those who maybe want to work with us have the capacity of maybe being educated by us, even though they're not locally near us. So I love in person. So I, even though I know I didn't get rid of my overhead, I actually took on more in a brick and mortar and really built out my community space because I find the in-person experience so powerful and deeply fulfilling for me. We actually built a hybrid model because we wanted to be able to not have to turn anybody away. So we actually have this beautiful tech setup where our global participants are on our screen. We have our circle mic so they can see all of us. It's this wonderful interactive experience. I do think there's just so much possibility with the virtual world. I think 
we are able to successfully create meaningful connection. And we've done that through frequency of the actual sessions has made a big difference. So if you're in the virtual space, you have to host them more frequently. Otherwise, you lose that momentum that doesn't necessarily get impaired in an in-person space. We partner, we have outside group and community support when there is more virtual access so that we ensure that we're doing the exact same care for who we're serving in a virtual space. But I think this solves a lot of problems with respect to access and accessibility. The virtual uh, space allows for us to make meaningful change in health, and you don't necessarily need to be in that respective location to receive that care and connection. So I think it's powerful. We have clinicians doing both successfully, and we're even coaching clinicians on building their own group models. So we have Wild Collective, but I've seen now Lyme's groups and autoimmunity groups and nutrition focus groups. Like It's really, really exciting to see this interplay and building out this ascension model in care so people can consume at their level of readiness and motivation. You mentioned motivation, so I'll pick up on this in a second, but I think you could argue almost that with the pandemic for everything that it brought, on some level, it made people realize I don't want to be stuck on Zoom all day long for work and then also for my own health and then computer and Netflix that <laughs> it maybe provided the perfect impetus. Hmm, maybe I should meet more in people. I need a local community. So how have you seen in the first few years of running it before the pandemic versus after the pandemic? Have you seen a noticeable shift that there's more buying for people to want to build local connections? Yes, I do. I still think in a situation like ours, this is so funny. It's like there's still a resistance to buy-in initially. So you really need to be prepared for the value that you add with respect to the investment that they're making. I'll say this. I still find that part a bit the sticky part that was sticky pre-pandemic. It's sticky now. I'll say the overwhelming value once they are in a wild circle their level of appreciation for how powerful group is, how powerful connection is with respect to their fulfillment, joy, and health, that part was outstandingly wonderful because I, I think we probably took it for granted prior and it was wonderful and it filled our cups, but I have felt overwhelmed post-pandemic just with the expression of gratitude of just how much we're helping individuals in this capacity because they didn't realize how much they were missing it. So I always find when you're disrupting in the medical model and you're doing something different, buy-in can be a little challenging. But once you experience it and post-pandemic, I think we have a real appreciation for what's happening in a community space. Absolutely. Yeah. So given that group health, as you said, is a rather unconventional <laughs> approach in modern healthcare. How have you been able to fill these 10-month life experiences? And you spoke to specific resistance that you run into when you introduce it. Probably, is it more a body system where the people that have gone through it, they rave about it, and then that's how the word spreads by word of mouth? Or what do you find has worked best to introduce the topic? And yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'll say I'm ruthless. Like I'm highly motivated in this working. <laughs> But I'll say social proof is our biggest influencer. I think there are a lot of people that are slow adopters, like show me that this is working for others before I say yes. And I think having seven years of social proof and testimonial shares and love for the community we've created has really helped us scale 
we still deliver and we launch live. So we host an event that allows people an opportunity to experience it because I think you really do need to see some level of what we're doing before you're like, sure, I'll just sign up for that. I pray for the day that we arrive at a different mindset where this just becomes a normal articulation of healthcare. But until that moment, I think it's our responsibility to be able to properly articulate the value and show what is happening so that we start to normalize health delivery in this capacity because it makes a massive difference. Absolutely. I love you saying this. Going back to motivation and it's obviously one of the recurring topics on the podcast, how has the Wild Collective container influenced and boosted motivation? What are some of the exciting things that happened, the disease reversals, et cetera, the empowerment that has happened that you can share? Because I think to me, it's super exciting to see this group and coaching component. And for us as a company, you know, we were a tech delivery company building funnels. And then I realized the coaching part, the community, the belonging is so powerful <laughs> to keep people motivated and going. And so I guess we're all figuring out the same learning lesson that community is, yeah. is super powerful and motivating. Yeah, I'm inspired daily what we've been able to see happen from a health perspective and a personal development perspective. So we've had women come and share with us how they've moved through and they've had successful, long-lasting weight loss, women who are weaning off their antidepressant medication because they're not afraid to feel again. They feel deeply supported. They're not running from themselves. We've seen women reverse a lot of inflammatory conditions. They've seen a massive shift in terms of flare-ups. We had a woman with inflammatory bowel disease who stopped having flare-ups. I can't say that's just group health, but that longevity and that capacity, even from weaning from antidepressant medications, uh, largely their success and their duration of success is due to the fact that they have stayed in a like-minded community. From a personal development standpoint, we've seen women be brave enough to leave partnerships that no longer serve them, to step into their purpose and passion and create businesses of their own. We're creating budding entrepreneurs. It's like the coolest thing. Women who've gone on to become breathwork instructors and Wim Hof instructors and start their own retreats and build their own businesses, leave the traditional model and education and build their own way. So I just see this capacity for innovation with respect to health, but also in, in personal development and satisfaction in life. Yeah, I think these are sort of the additional ancillary benefits totally. that one would never expect from a doctor and just getting control of the health. This is why I love that it is so multi-layered. It is empowerment. It is education. It's bringing all these things together. And I think redefining what true health actually is, is not just the absence of your bowel issues, but really feeling inspired alive. And as you said, having that purpose and connection that they know what they are actually doing it for. I love everything that you've shared with our audience. Where can people go to learn more? Or if somebody is interested, whether they're an individual or our healthcare practitioner that is entertaining the thought, what would be the next best steps for them to explore what this could look like? Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you too. I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the years. And I just think you're a wonderful human. So quickly, where to find me? I am most social on, on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Paris. You can always send me a DM. I will personally respond and direct you to our resources. We have a podcast called Wild Medicine. You can go listen to more on community medicine and our group 
there. We have a website that is for both clinicians and women who are interested at www.the-wild-collective.com. And we are hosting a lot of free masterclasses upcoming for clinicians who are interested in group health and want to learn the model and how we've done this, as well as women who want to dig a little bit deeper as to why they might be frustrated in their healthcare and there are viable solutions are. So, you know, connect with us, get on a mailing list and join us there because we'd love to support you. Michelle, thank you so much for sharing all these amazing knowledge bombs and gold nuggets to help inspire more people to take action and decide to finally get healthy. So appreciative and inspired by the work that you and your team have been doing over the years. So we always end the podcast with a last word from you, what you wish more people knew going forward. Mm-hmm. You might know what I'm going to say. I wish more people knew the power and simplicity of human connection was that it's like jet fuel for the soul and it's not a nice to have, it's a must have if you want to increase your longevity, but also feel deeply fulfilled and satisfied each day that we're here. Our social capital is way more than any raise we would ever get financially. And so that needs to be at the forefront of our mind and we need to do whatever it takes in order to feel deeply nourished and supported by our social groups. Very well said. Thank you so much, Michelle. And for everyone listening, we'll see you next week. I believe mastering persuasion is one of the most essential skills in life and certainly in business, because nothing ever happens without a yes. Yet we can only effectively influence other people's decisions when we truly understand how the brain makes those decisions. Once you master the decision-making formula, your message becomes ever more clear and influential. Join us next week for our newest episode of Getting to Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week.